everyone. I'm Julie Andrews, and I'm here at the opening of the Walt Disney World in Florida, just a few miles away from Cape Kennedy, where men point their space vehicles toward the stars. Walt Disney decided to launch his final dream. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to episode 30 of the Retro Disney World Podcast. This episode is titled Primetime Specials, Part 1, where we'll be taking you back to all those wonderful television specials that aired over the years, and we're going to be going through about four of them. Uh, we've got plenty more to do in the future, but this is part one. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and sitting in with me, as always, is Mr. J.T. Kuzier. How are you tonight, J.T.? Doing good, Todd. How are you? No, not too bad. Doing pretty good. well. Mr. Hal Bowers from the Tampa hey. area. Hello, everybody. How you doing tonight, Hal? Doing good. Excellent. And Mr. Brian P. Miles from that city of brotherly love. How goes it tonight, Brian? Greetings and salutations from Pennsylvania, where you've got a friend. That was our license plate slogan for about three years until <laughs> it made a George Carlin special. And it says, you've got a friend in Pennsylvania. He says, most of the people in Pennsylvania have lived there their whole life. I hope they have a friend. And the next year, they took the slogan off. <laughs> all right. So before we get over to our main topic and listener mail and audio rewind, all that great stuff, we first go into comments and corrections. And... Um, Last month we talked about listen to the land guys. We had a I thought that was a really great episode. The way that all came together, we talked about um, the uh, symbiosis and then the attraction. Listen to the land, and um, I mentioned too that um, I was taking the behind the scenes tour after we recorded that, and uh, I I did ask to try to get kind of behind the Soren queue, and nobody would really let me go back there and see what remains of uh, of food rocks and such. But um, we really didn't mes- mention. Um, any of the music that was in, in Listen to the Land, um, how there's quite a bit of stuff. And, and I know we also had some r- people write in about uh, uh, specifically about the score that you now hear, uh, the, the land music loop, if you will, in, in the pavilion. So um, you did some digging and you've got some information on that. Yeah. So actually, Brian was the one that talked about how it was weird that he was in there on a rainy day and he heard the song from E.T. Mm. Uh, playing. So uh, so I looked around and and found some playlists online and then a bunch of people wrote in after that but brian and i pretty much determined that someone just sat down and googled the word flight (laughs) or like put flight into itunes and found like every song possible every instrumental song that they could find so there are all kinds of non-disney film score music that's in there that's hook and um god just saw a lot of um the right stuff literally anything that had anything to do with flying air force got one. shoved in there do we yeah. is, is is if you had wings or dream flight played at all no uh, no that's more, more, they get, yeah. no that would make sense why would we yeah do? yeah why would we do that why so we do that? this was either the most brilliant thing they could have done or just the absolute laziest and i'll just we'll leave it up to the listener <laughs> to decide for themselves which one of those it is that's right and uh lila from chapel hill you wrote in with that uh and, and mentioned it so thanks for uh sending that in we were doing the same research you did so thank you much uh all right so let's move on to listener mail uh jt running out to the mailbag getting warm now and uh Yes, easy. Breaking Very a nice sweat to... with all the all the mail coming in. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I got a few here. 
first one is uh, from Disney in Ohio. Hello, friend in Ohio. Uh, first off, uh, he wants to know, do you know why there's a window above Casey's Corner on Main Street for a Chinese restaurant? Seems out of place to me. He searched the internet and can't find much of a backstory. So, I have the answer to that. And uh, the answer is, if, if you were able to move back a little bit farther, you would see that the, the sign for Casey's is actually covering a second window um, that is below the first one. And underneath it, it says, Jim Armstrong, Vegetable Buyer. So uh, Jim Armstrong worked for the Disney Company for 22 years. He was the vice president of their resort and food administration. And his operation there won multiple industry awards. Uh, prior to Disney, he worked for the Hilton Hotels and Restaurant Associates, who is a company that uh, developed fine dining establishments in New York, like uh, the Four Seasons. And he ended up passing away in St. Augustine, Florida in 2014. So um, there's, there is a reason for that to hmm. be there. Interesting. There's always so much more behind the window than you think. It's not just a name up there. There's always a, seems to be a backstory, which is really interesting. So thanks, Hal, for uh, digging into that. Anytime. All right, next up. Hey, guys, I'm a listener from the first episode. Oh, boy, you've hung oh, in there. God bless you. Wow. Chris. You're doing God's work. I really enjoy every show you produce, so uh, thank you, Mark. 1980s Epcot Center, that's his favorite era of Walt Disney World, and he has something to share with us. It is the first press of the menu used in the Land Pavilion. I've never seen this. This is before my time. Have you guys ever across we we got this email from mark and uh it answered a burning question from our prior episode and that is what is key west pizza yeah and we've got it here so i'm I'm gonna read off the ingredients you guys tell me what you think about this uh it's a plain crust topped with ginger spiced shrimp scallops mushroom hearts of palm montreche cheese which is a goat cheese and monterey cheese I would like to order myself up one of those pies. I say we take this down their garden grill and see if they can whip it off for us. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a McFarkle move right there. <laughs> so the price here, uh, a sample, they call it a sample size, was four ninety five, and the entree was eight seventy five. And there's a couple other interesting things on this yeah, menu. Yeah, I was going to say, I think there are a couple others now that you have the menu in front yeah, of you. Yeah, yeah. So, so I remember ordering this one now. I... I is the bar the broiled barbecued shrimp with it's got the giant craft barbecue sauce logo there and uh florida peppers served with fresh pasta i remember getting that as an appetizer this one this next one is kind of disturbing it just says fresh dolphin <laughs> it says grilled so, filet it's not dolphin so i which, it's, hopefully it's dolphin fish know, which everyone should know you know dolphin fish today as mahi mahi right but it doesn't say fish afterwards. It just says fresh dolphin. Right. Huh. That's only if you have Which that is... crazy gold pass you had. They give you the gold, the dolphin. Just... Oh, the gold, the gold right. key pass. Yeah. Maybe that's why all the dolphins disappeared <laughs> under the living seas and were replaced by <laughs> manatees right. eventually. <laughs> so one other menu trivia here, Brian. This one's for you. You had the handwich downstairs, right? Yes. Yes. What do you think they called the sandwiches in the garden grill? Or the good turn. This will be the good turn, actually. So, I, I, you've stumped me. They're called landwitches. Oh, of course, the <laughs> landwitch. I, sh- I should have known. And they had a club, a grilled strip steak, and a barbecue pork. I'd but, like a grilled strip steak yeah. landwitch. That sounds delicious. Yeah. I do want to say this: the feedback we got, pun intended, 
on the food discussion uh, <laughs> and the menu discussion from, from our last episode. I, I don't think there's anything we've talked about in the last year that got as much feedback from people <laughs> as we did on the, the handwiches and the menu items and we the just food court a, and all that We need a menu stuff. episode. Well, we, we do, and I think we've got, a, we've got this one now. I have the old Flaglers. We've got a contemporary uh, I, I mean, I have a service. giant collection of yeah, them. Yeah, so, so we're going to we're, we're gonna, we gotta bring a food. I, it might be a mini now. episode, folks. I don't think you can spend an hour of us <laughs> listening to us talk about menus, but... The uh, land spend at least 15 minutes on space dogs in Tomorrowland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Blue mayonnaise. The, the land witch, oh, though. God. We, you, you, uh, that always starts off a whole thing with the blue mayonnaise. That's right. Yeah. That's a whole. All right. Moving on. Well, so, thanks, Mark. We appreciate yeah. the menu. Uh, Thank you yeah, for that. That's craziness. Be great. Um, all right. Next up, we have a message from Bill. He says he doesn't recall anyone mentioning the record-breaking tomato plant along the Living with the Land boat ride during the last podcast. And, uh, we have the link here for the Guinness Book of World Records. Unfortunately, I also don't think it was there when I rode last week. I don't know. Todd, did you see it when you went? Uh, yeah, JT. Actually, they, they did mention that. Um, there was a tomato plant there that uh, ran for about 11 or lived for about 11 months, and they harvested 32,194 tomatoes off of that it. That is a lot of BLTs. That's, that's a lot of BLTs. <laughs> that's right. Um, they, the plants actually kind of lay down in this circular pattern, and they then they kind of wrap it around. And when I was there, they talked about uh, this plant in particular, but they also showed us the oldest one there. I, I can't remember how old it was, a few months uh, and it was something something ridiculous, like 23 feet long or something. It was just one single vine. But uh, uh, they also uh, let you pick up some of the different melons and different things there. So, so it was a great tour. I, I highly recommend it. If you guys haven't done it, yeah, just uh, I think it was only $25 or something like that. So it's so definitely worth the 45 minutes. Did you your to tour guide too. Uh, remind you of Willy Wonka in any way, like the last tour? <laughs> Did he have a cane? He did not have a cane. He, the only freebies we got were uh, some little pieces of cucumber. So uh. they did get upset when Todd uh, knelt down like Augustus Gloop and started drinking the uh, <laughs> <laughs> right over the boat path. <laughs> what is pretty cool? It's it's pretty unrestricted in, in some areas. You can walk right up to those machines that spray the uh, the roots and and look right into them, and you can see how they're there's like you know there's tanks of water that aren't being used anymore but um the only thing you couldn't do was walk on the sand you know for obvious reasons but um they took we were able to feed the fish and they took you into the um you know aquacell and and all the different things it was, it was really interesting a lot of neat neat agricultural information so definitely worth it if you guys head down there all right well um bill we appreciate that uh fun fact and walk down uh, the memory lane to the Guinness Book of World Records tomato at the land. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to say to us, podcast at retrowdw.com. You can message us on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere you can find us, or the email. All right, well, it's time for this month's Audio Rewind. Uh, as always, we play clip of audio from the past and uh, how you were in charge of producing last month's audio so uh you know do you think you stumped us <laughs> i don't i don't know because part of the name of the parade is actually right in the song so i even though that that did fool a number of listeners i tried to throw a little bone there and have it yeah it kind of gave a little hint so Let's but we, see. everybody did get the era. That's the one. Yeah, thing. it's like everyone nailed the year. They just may have picked the wrong parade. And it definitely has a specific era to it. Very. I mean, just from the 
silliness of it. Uh, but uh, let, well, let's do this. Let's take a listen to last month's Audio Rewind Puzzler. Yo there, listen up all you rad dudes. Walt's house is rocking with a mania that's hit the street with a brand new beat. Gosh, sounds like a party. Maybe I should bake a cake. Uh, uh, Tempest, Goofy, it's not that kind of party. It's a death jam. All right, so if you guessed the Mickey Mania Parade, you are correct. And we received quite a few answers uh, last month for this. And uh, last month's winner is James Boland. So congratulations, James. You'll be receiving the pins and some assorted Walt Disney World ephemera from years past. And um, as always, we have to pick out a prize for this month. And um, we had a listener write in, David Eppen, and uh, he had a lot of different pieces of ephemera and and, um, postcards and all sorts of great magazines and things that uh, he asked if uh, we'd like to give away. Uh, so thanks to David, uh, this month's Audio Rewind Puzzler prize is a GAF guide to Walt Disney World. It was the information guide that you would get and walk around the parks, just like the park maps you get today, but they were actually sponsored. For those of you that don't know, GAF was a company that made, as they say in the back, quality photo products. So that was slide projectors, film, cameras, uh, movie projectors, etc. And the GAF was the official film of Walt Disney World for a number of years. How, how do, you, do you remember when Kodak came in? Do you know what year that was? I remember when Polaroid came in. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Before Kodak. You didn't need a camera yeah. center. Well, I guess so, you so yeah, you had GAF and then you had Polaroid, Polaroid. And then I think Kodak came in with Epcot in, in 82. Was Yes, was because they wanted the red concrete, right? And that's... The- and that's when they got into imagination and stuff. So right, but 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 we should note this is a, a very appropriate time to mention the was it GAF or Polaroid Hal that had the photo opportunity on Main Street USA. Yeah, the, the, they did like the old timey photos, like where oh, you dressed yes. up and dressed up. I have, oh, I have those like we, with they, the guns, the old west photos. Well, they, they did too. They would do one in a sepia tone, and I think eventually they did over Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village. But you would dress up and. As Brian said, old-timey dress. And um, they also did one that was on the back of a train. It was supposed to be on the right. the end of the railroad car. Uh, right. And then the one at Lake Buena Vista, I think, was just like you went to a, a photographer or something. But, yeah, where was that? Was that? Um... I assume it was in the camera center. We mm. never did that. but So I will see if I can dig it out. We did the one on the back of the train, and we also did the sepia tone one. So uh, I'm going to see if I can figure those out. So so congratulations again to James Bolin. Um, but before we move on to the prize pot, though, let's take a listen to this month's Audio Rewind Puzzler. If you think you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind Puzzler, send your guesses to podcast at retrowdwdw.com. All entries should be received by June 20th, 2017. Correct entries will be entered into a drawing to see who wins this month's prize. And all entries, whether they are correct or not, will be entered into the prize pot drawing, the part two prize pot drawing, to take place in December 2017. So that means that this is June. So JT... What does that mean? That means it is prize pot giveaway time because we're doing right. two this year. 
first half of the year, a we'll say a winter spring prize pack prize pot, and then we have a summer fall prize pot. Exactly. So why don't you tell you you've been keeping track of the list as you always do, right? I've got it. Why don't you tell the listeners there what what do we have? What do we got in the, the whole pot? Starting in January, way back in January, um, the Walt Disney at the Fair four C D set. February uh, that was a mystery prize, if you remember. We didn't reveal That's it right. until later. Um, the official album of WDW, Walt Disney World, 1981 LP record. March, uh, a little golden book, a surprise to Mickey Mouse from 1971. And last month we had uh, the book entitled All Aboard, All About the Disney Trains. That's right. So for the final item that we're going to send in here is the... Walt Disney World, a pictorial souvenir in very, very good condition, actually, I must say. This is, again, from David Eppin, so thank you very much. It's the 1977 edition. I've got it here, and it has some fantastic pictures of... Um, you've probably seen a lot of these photos over the years, but it goes through all the different lands of the Magic Kingdom. Um, even has a great shot of uh, the lounge up at the top of the Contemporary and amongst other things. So it's uh, awesome how, how good these have held up over the years and what great condition this is in. So we're going to throw that into the prize pot as well. And uh, JT, are you ready to go down and, and start up the random number generator? I will be happy to do it. We're going to demand a lot out of it here in 2017. Two runs. The number I came up with is the number 37. 37. Let's look down through the list. And it is Tammy Norman. Tammy! So congrats. All right, Tammy. Tammy. Congratulations. So, Tammy, you win the half-year prize pot. You'll get all the things that we mentioned, so we'll be in touch with you shortly to get that out to you. So if you did not win this year's uh, this half-year's prize pot, don't worry. As we said earlier, all entries, whether they're right or wrong, are entered into the big prize, prize pot drawing, and we'll be doing another one in December 2017. Again, for this month, if you get your entries in to podcast at retrowdw.com before June 20th, 2017. This is the NBC Television Network. All right, well, it's time for this month's main topic. As we said earlier, uh, we're going to be talking about some of the primetime specials that... uh, the Disney Company aired over the years, and specifically, we're going through the Magic Kingdom opening, the Epcot opening, the MGM Grand opening, and then we're going to talk about the Muppets at Walt Disney World. So we're each going to take one of these uh, television specials, talk a little bit about it, and uh, and walk you through what they were. So let's kick it off. Let's do this in chronological order, guys. So I'm I'm going to start off here with the Magic Kingdom Grand opening uh, television special. So we all know that um, the Magic Kingdom opened October 1st, 1971, officially, um, and they did the uh, all the dedication when Roy was there was done on October uh, 25th. Uh, this special was filmed between the 23rd and the 25th um, during the three-day ce- opening celebrations that they had. This special aired on NBC on October 29th, 1971. So they really didn't have a lot of post-production time, just you know, three, four days there. Uh, its official host was Julie Andrews and special guest stars uh, Glenn Campbell, Buddy Hackett, Jonathan Winters, and Bob Hope. So let, we're going to go through a couple of the scenes here, how, the, how this whole thing plays out. A lot of it is done 
really well. When the sun came up this morning, I took the time to watch it rise. The special opens with Glenn Campbell singing uh, one of his songs called Today is Mine. And um, you're flying over all this barren Central Florida land. And all of a sudden, you know, there he is in this barren land with a guitar coming out of nowhere. Um, and he walks up to uh, a monorail beam at the very end. And, um, you know, you can see the monorail go over it. was I think it's they filmed it pretty much north of the Grand Floridian just before uh, it makes the turn to go to the Magic Kingdom. Um I was really looking for Roy's cabin in a lot of these overhead shots because they're going through all this, <laughs> all this land. But um, when Glenn finishes up the song, you're going to I recommend everybody to put it on because you're going to really recognize if you know this podcast, you're going to recognize the music at this point in the special. And that same piece uh, is played quite often, actually, through the special. Once that finishes up, we cut to Julie Andrews, and she's riding the monorail, and she starts to talk about uh, what the Magic Kingdom is or, and what all of Walt Disney World is. And um, all of a sudden, she's on one of the side wheelers, uh, it's singing When You Wish Upon a Star, and then she's in the Magic Kingdom, and um, immediately goes into a dance number on Main Street, USA. Now, um, this is all done with uh, When You Wish Upon a Star, but then it transitions to this funky 70s version of zippity doodah which is actually pretty cool for a disco type version of it so anyway i i like the version of zippity doodah it's it's kind of it's it's got this funky 70s vibe to it but um you know we joked about other shows uh other other specials where you know shields in yarnell and especially the mouseketeers and the christmas special how weird it is and this is really this is the beginning of the corniness so jonathan winters is has a couple scenes here coming up and his first scene and, and for those of you who don't jo- jonathan winters uh famous actor and and he had a television show uh one of a really interesting anecdote about him is that uh his first public demonstration of color videotape was actually the jonathan winters show um, but you're reckon, you'll recognize him from a lot of different. Uh, different he was on the last season movies. of Mork and Mindy. That's right. Um, he was the uh, voice of Grandpa Smurf on the television show The Smurfs when that when oh, the yeah, animated film. Right. Yeah, um, Yogi's Treasure Hunt, Pound Puppies of all things. So and he was a regular on Hee Haw as well. Where it's so, going to come up later too. Yeah. So there we go. So here's where it gets. Like I said, well, this is where it gets corny. Um, Somehow he pull, he pulls up into a convertible with his um, he's in the passenger seat and his wife Margaret is sitting next to him and there's six kids in the back of the convertible two sitting on the back um, Mavis Teddy Sissy June Harry and Tony as he calls them and he s- claims that they've driven this way for two days and two nights you know two kids hanging off the back deck of a of a convertible um, and he did this vacation so Margaret could get out of the hot, sweaty kitchen. And she's falling asleep at the wheel, apparently exhausted. And, and she's really, in an odd, frozen way, just sitting there, just really, really bizarre. Um, and and he, he's trying to coax her out of the car and saying how this vacation is for you. And it's going to be really, really great. And he sends the kids off. And then he starts calling for Billy and Jean, who he didn't even mention the first six kids. So you're wondering where things are going. Here, you kids, Mavis, Billy Joe, come over here. Mavis and Billy, Gene, Gene, come over here. Never mind, Billy, you stay back there. 
Get, get a hold of the tent over there. Here, you kids. You grab her here by the wrists. Start moving them like that. Here, honey. Down around the ankles. You're dogging it, Margaret. You're dogging it. Huh? What are you trying to tell me, Margaret? Uh, you see, you talked too much in the earlier years when we were first married. So this whole thing is it's horribly slow and horribly acted. The kids don't say a thing. They just get up and like run away from the convertible. And he tries to coax her saying, we're going to have a lot of fun at Disney world. So you, you think this is going somewhere cut to Glenn Campbell. He's now arriving by a boat and he introduces us to the contemporary, which that is such a clean look at the contemporary, like nothing growing around. It's like, it's just fell out oh, of yeah. the sky. It's just nothing. Yeah. There's right. nothing there. It's at like, all. he's in like a light tan. The contemporary is a light tan. Yeah. Like everything, <laughs> everything is just is this tan. light tan. <laughs> so at this point, you see the express uh, monorail, which they're actually running backwards, pulling in uh, and out steps Bob Hope. And we talked about Tom Nabby on, on that Tom Nabby episode. And, and he, he told us about where they built that and, and how it was specially built for the grand And then opening. last October, he showed us where they built that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we know exactly where it was. And Bob Hope, there's, there's like three levels to this platform, and they only really show him coming off to the first platform going down. And he just strikes a barrage of <laughs> now dated jokes. Hit after hit. That, oh, my God. Well, he starts off with, Thank you, girls. Wait for me in Adventureland. Boom. And then he starts, he starts talking about the contemporary, and he says, Hey, what a building. Now I know where the Goodyear blimp goes during the mating season. <laughs> Boom. So... This is the point in time where I have to give my obligatory uh, observation that at no time in my 43 years of life did I ever think Bob Hope was funny. <laughs> and I would see him, they'd roll him out for these USO specials yeah. and they'd roll him out for every TV thing. And he'd tell these awful jokes and old people would be slapping their knee like they're yeah. listening to Stephen Wright in his prime. Like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> you know, they're falling off their chairs. And I'm like, this guy is not funny. Like, they, 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 yeah. So he goes into a couple more of them. I mean, one of them here, he keeps harping on the shape of the contemporary. You saw this beautifully engineered modern hotel from the outside. It has a very unusual shape. Matter of fact, a nearsighted flamingo has been sitting on the tower for weeks trying to hatch it. It doesn't even look like the blimp or, a, or an egg. I don't know where he got this from. And then the last one uh, is hotels put Bibles in your room. Here, Billy Graham comes up and reads it to you. <laughs> just, I don't even understand why that's funny. Like, how is that a joke? <laughs> Billy Graham was very popular I, I, at the I, time. I get that. I get that. But why? So would prestigious he... is this location? Yeah. That... I, uh, I, I, I'm surprised he doesn't have the golf club though when he's doing his act. No, and, and the funny thing is the crowd's reacting, but you almost feel like it's canned laughter put in. It's just it but, is because yeah. there's no way anybody laughed at that. We right. should mention that the Tom Nabby story about this platform and all of this is when Bob Hope got off the the the, the train, the uh, monorail was making that the idling monorail was making so much noise that it was interfering with with the uh, with the audio for for Bob Hope's routine and so they're over the microphone screaming like over the walkie talkies like get that motor off and the guy reached up and just hit the kill switch on the, <laughs> on the monorail right because they had no there's no way to turn it off they right, just, the right. guy reached up and hit the kill switch so that they could record bob hope and his corny jokes yep yeah so that falls flat and and we move we move on i mean really it does 
another <laughs> That's dud. That's the funniest another thing that dud. happened that day. So, so Julie Andrews comes out next, and um, she introduces a special orchestra who is uh, conducted by Ar- Ar- Arthur Fiedler um, in front of the castle, and they play a number of different songs. Now, he was famous in the 1970s because uh, <clears throat> he was the conductor of the Boston Pops, and there was a show on PBS that ran every Sunday night, I think, that was enormously popular. And then they would do all the 4th of July specials and our Star Spangled this and that. And all, it was yep. all Arthur Fiedler. And he sold records and yeah. all sorts of stuff. Yeah, he was a big, big, big deal. The premier conductor of right. 1971. Yeah. 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 So he was, he was big for that time. So after that, we go into the Country Bears. And, you know, what's the running time on that, guys? 12 minutes, right? They show nearly six minutes <laughs> of, of the attraction. Yeah. Um, Glenn Campbell rips into another song in Frontier Land um, and <laughs> Come On Sunshine. And he's, it's pretty cool. You see the, the keel boats and everything. I saw the milkman. I saw the businessman. I saw the only road in sight. And then I got to thinking, what makes you want to go to nowhere for and the one? Then he goes in and checks out the stockades and talks about America. And he goes to the Hall of Presidents. And they show us. Now, the stockades is interesting there because they were actually too small for you to put your head in at that point. And oh, he really? talks about how you wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> that's because yeah, you can't. They're, they're, yeah, so they see that. That's a good point, yeah. So, tiny stockades. Yeah. Anyways. So, he goes over the, the Hall of Presidents, and uh, they show us six minutes of that. And then we get back to Jonathan Winters and Margaret. So, cut to them. They're at Fort Wilderness, JT. Apparently, Margaret has spent her whole afternoon setting up camp he congratulates her on setting up the campground now magically nine kids he gathers them there's nine kids he calls them family and this is where it gets this is bizarre did you think that was tinkerbell why i'd know tinkerbell if i saw her that little funny gnat (laughs) it is tinkerbell gee i almost crippled her take a look at her wings one of them's bent here i'll straighten that out you see that what i'll do is just work those wings back and forth maybe give her a little mouth-to-mouth resuscitation Ever do that to a gnat? It's not easy. There she goes. Isn't that fantastic? Good luck to you, Tinkerbell. <laughs> and mommy runs, gets up and runs off, literally. And, and, and he gets all the kids who have been, remember, they've been mute to this point, and gets them all to chant at once. We're going to track down mommy. <laughs> yes. End scene. What? <laughs> I, I, I don't... So, guys, I have I have no idea where this is going to go, or, or as we're going to find out, there is no conclusion to this Jonathan Winters portion of it. So, it's so bizarre, don't you think? I mean, it's just... It's... The one thing that is amazing is they managed to get coordinating outfits for the entire family. It's like they're all in the same color family of, like, this red and this orange and yeah. this sort of, like, intense pink. And they're all ages from, like, 18 to 7 or even 4, maybe. Jonathan Winters was a very virile man. Yes, yeah. yes. So Julie Andrews uh, takes us over to the, the luau, uh, and they show us some of the luau before the cove, which I believe was all footage of, of the opening ceremony stuff. Um, we see the water pageant, some early uh, electrical water pageant uh, floats. The dolphins are really jumping much faster. There's fireworks from Barge, which is pretty cool. Um, that would have been the first running of the yeah. electric water pageant. That's right. That's the one that was supposed to only last you know two weeks or something like that. Right. Um, then comes the big musical number and um we get this dance troupe that comes out and dances it is really something to see so don't go away you think you've seen everything you can 
But we see some cool things. The uncovered teacups, uh, old Adventureland Bridge. Uh, they're doing skyway. a dance. The Skyway. And they're doing a dance in front of the uh, entrance to Tomorrowland. There's just this big wall behind them because it hadn't been finished yet. <laughs> there's it wasn't even, there. Yeah. It wasn't even the, the like sort of multicolored rainbow wall. It's just a gray or a green wall. It was living up to the literal Tomorrowland. It's some, yeah. sometime tomorrow, sometime. there'll be a land here. That's right. So we get six minutes of the Mickey Mouse review, and then we get to uh, Chick Hearn introducing race, racing legends at the Grand Prix Speedway. So he introduces Mark Donahue, Bobby Unzer, and Jackie Stewart. Well, they were uh, Formula One, I believe, in IndyCar. And Chick Hearn was a was an announcer for ABC, I believe. So, and they the last one they announce is Leonard Hackett, which is as we know Buddy Hackett from Herbie. So they fight for cars and. Buddy Hackett doesn't get one and he whistles and out comes Herbie and he gets out a big key and winds it up and there's all this groovy music as they they race around the track. (laughs) And that ends with a, you know, Buddy Hackett stopping and getting out of Herbie and there's a big spoon in the road and he goes, That's funny. There's supposed to be a fork in the road. It's just, yeah. That's rough. good. Oh, man. You know what they do, though? They have, like, the one thing that you will see in this is, like, their, sh- like, showcase spotlight car, the, like, number 74, which has these, like, sort of green flames on it. So look for that. That oh, was, cool. like, their, the fancy, like, Grand Prix car that was up on display for years. Cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. The next scene, I'm not even going to talk about it. it. It was Jonathan Winters doing some odd Georgian hillbilly stories about a dog. I mean, it goes it goes on and on. I I just go watch it, you know. Um, you can see we're we're now getting up to the end here. Um, Julie Andrews does uh, another song from uh, the Skyway, and she goes in the small world, breaks into that song, and then she's got kids from around the world come out of the attraction, and they go over to the carousel and such. Um, and then we go over to Bob Hope, who talks a little bit about this is what what wanted. It's an escape for all ages, and then we get to the the big parade um now this parade's got the giant mickey drum what was that thing 10 12 feet across i mean it was pretty big um but the highlight really was when the herald trumpeters of the uh, u.s army band lined on the top of all the buildings in main street and they signaled the arrival of uh, 1076 member marching band and all these musicians went down the street um, it was directed by Meredith Wilson, uh, who was the music man, writer, and composer. So he, he uh, directed all that. And just to give you an idea of how m- many people that has, that stretched from the main entrance of the train station all the way up to Cinderella Castle. And they played 76 trombones. They had a big choir. And they sang When You Wish Upon a Star. And then um, the larger-than-life drum floats that they had were opened and released. And from the top of the building, they released them as well. 50,000 helium-filled balloons. <laughs> Today, they would never let them do that with the environmental hazards, I guess. But They could have took um, down a jet with them. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, that's do just... not fly over the park. Between. So, but, um, you know, and it ends there. You cue the balloon release, the credits roll, and it's all over. And what I found odd about this whole thing is that, one, 
the the Jonathan Winters story is never resolved. Mommy runs off, right? And we <laughs> never know if the they best. found her. It just she makes, was the smart one. Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> I don't have to take this anymore. I'm out of here. Um, and what was also odd is that they did not include any dedication footage. You know, Roy saying anything. There was nothing in there whatsoever. So, but um, you know, this is really the beginning of of these um, these opening ceremonies and also these primetime specials and the corniness certainly did not end there, which takes us to 1982. In a transition, I want to offer an explanation to our listeners who were not uh, among the living in the 70s and 80s, um, because you have to understand that in entertainment and media at that time, you had the three networks, CBS, ABC, NBC, uh public broadcasting, and then a few UHF channels. Uh, No cable, at least not in the 70s. Um, No satellite TV, none of that. So so your opportunity, I mean, Glenn Campbell was one of the biggest recording stars in the world at the time this opened up. Um, You know, just to name one of the guys that's involved in this special. Uh, Your opportunity to see your favorite artist, uh, there was no such thing as seeing them on demand. So when they were, you know, now we can pull it up on YouTube or there's a hundred cable channels or even before MTV was around, the only time you saw your musical acts that you loved was if you paid to see them in concert, you didn't own a VCR or anything, you, you couldn't watch them on, on tape at home. So them being in a special or a variety show was a big deal. You tuned in to see them. And so Julie Andrews and 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 uh, Jonathan Winters, and they were all selling points. Mm-hmm. So when these shows seem kind of odd to us that you watch them now and it's 20 minutes of Glenn Campbell singing different songs, you're like, what? you know, why would that have anything to do with it? Like that was the hook to keep you watching. So, so uh, you know, just so you kind of understand why these specials, at least in the early years, aren't so much about the park. Uh, as they are, the park's a backdrop for the entertainers like Bob Hope to tell their awful jokes. So that's a great setup for the next special, which mm-hmm. is uh, October 1st, 1982, and the opening of Epcot Center. Uh, and the special, which we have a great uh, TV guide advertisement for it, which we'll have to tweet out on Facebook and all that before, when we're promoting the show. But uh, the, the, the lead uh, guy in it, the host of it, was Danny Kay. Uh, Danny Kay would be most familiar uh, to our listeners, if he's familiar at all, uh, from his role in the movie White Christmas with Bing Crosby. And if you never saw White Christmas with Bing Crosby, you may recognize him from Clark Griswold's freakout in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when he says we're going to have the hap-hap-happiest Christmas since Bing Crosby tap dance with Danny, expletive deleted K. Uh, so that's Danny K. He is the... See, now I remember him from uh, from um, Hans Christian Andersen. Well, okay, that's they used to run, and he sings a very famous song, Inchworm. Yes. Which he um, was on the Muppet Show then, and and he sang intro to that too. Yeah, and as all specials like this did back then, they open up with. Ladies and gentlemen, Epcot Center, the opening celebration with your host Danny Kaye and guests Drew Barrymore, Roy Clark, Alex Haley, Marie Osmond, Eric Severide. Alan Shepard, Dreamfinder and Pigment, 
Zico and Smart One. The West Point Flea Club. And the All-American College Marching Band. So when I refer to these people through the show, I'm going to run through the list now so you know who they are. Drew Barrymore, who at the time was six years old, had just starred in E.T., uh, which had only come out of, in, in June of that year. So it was only, a, you know, she had only become famous a few months earlier. Uh, so Roy Clark, Roy Clark was uh, the host of Hee Haw, uh, which was a big uh, country variety show that ran from 1969 into the 90s. So this was kind of right in the sweet spot of his fame. Uh, also at the time, Hunt's Ketchup was the official ketchup of Walt Disney World, and Roy Clark starred in their TV commercials uh, for, for Hunt's Ketchup, always mentioning that it was the official ketchup of Walt Disney World. So uh, that Roy Clark's in the show. <clears throat> Alex Haley, famous author of Roots, and uh, he's there a little later on in the show to talk about the uh, never-built Africa Pavilion. Marie Osmond, who was part of the famous Osmond family, uh, and she was the only girl in the Osmond family. So uh, famous at that time from the variety show Donnie and Marie. Uh, Eric Savaride, who was uh, one of the top CBS newsmen for like 50 years, worked for Edward R. Murrow, et cetera. Uh, Alan Shepard, who was an astronaut. Uh, Dreamfinder and Figment uh, were two of the people they introduced to. Two robots, Smart One, who we've referred to in the past, uh, was uh, in the parks from day one, and a robot that we'll talk about tonight named Seiko. Uh, the West Point Glee Club and the All-American College Marching Band. So that's your, that's your overture beforehand. Danny Kay opens up the show in the rain overlooking the American Adventure Pavilion and uh, tells us all that the realization of Walt Disney's dream to create a permanent showcase of technology and world culture was Epcot Center, and that's where we are. So he then goes into a song and dance number. 21st century's here. It's time for the dream to come true. This glorious figment of one man's imagination. And I will tell you off the bat, 50% of this show is Danny Kaye song and dance numbers. Yeah. Uh, Another 25% of it is Roy Clark (laughs) singing. Uh, And there's a little tiny bit of Epcot. Uh, fit fit in there and you know a lot a lot of stock footage and and a lot of footage a lot of us have seen before and pictures well you've seen now at that time i mean i don't know that was you know it was the initial it was the initial footage of the park back then um right so uh he he goes through this 21st century begins today song uh and that shows a lot of the conception uh with you know it opens with walt doing his uh his epcot presentation you see Herb Ryman doing artwork for the park. Uh, there are shots of Isaac Asimov and and uh, talking with Imagineers, and then uh, it it yields to uh, construction scenes. You move into the construction, and then you get to the like the middle eight of the song. He spends like four minutes telling you what Epcot is by telling you what it isn't. Isn't just a resort, it isn't just a world's fair, not just a cavalcade of wizardry, technology, and flair. It's not just Epicurean displays by international gourmets where one can dine, lunch, munch, crunch for days and days and days. As you can see, that goes on forever. Uh, And then when you're six minutes into the show uh, and you've done this long song, all of a sudden you see 
the giant dolls. Dun, uh, dun, dun. Yes. So as you know, when Epcot <laughs> no. opened, there were no Disney, traditional Disney characters, but they did have robots and their meet and greet characters throughout World Showcase were these gigantic dolls whose eyes blinked mm-hmm. uh, as they stole your soul. Uh, so <laughs> can you imagine if instead of Drew Barrymore, they got the little girl from Poltergeist? <laughs> how, how, how awful those would be. <laughs> ah. So, Carol Ann, yeah. Carol Ann, Epcot's calling. <laughs> just TVs over there and with with fuzz on them all throughout the thing. Anyway, the so, the the song concludes with not Mickey Mouse waving from the top of Spaceship Earth. Uh, the, the you know obviously degradation of the you know these are YouTube videos that we have to watch uh, of this, but. Uh, degradation of the video over the years. I can't make out if we're supposed to be able to tell who's on top of Spaceship Earth, but someone is up there waving, and it's not a character. It's just a construction. That's what I thought, you know. With a hard hat, yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, yeah, Mickey, not Mickey waves at you. And then uh, Spaceship Earth opens up the show with Danny Kaye talking to Alan Shepard, the astronaut, about where the future of mankind is headed. And they talk about exploring space and the oceans, and then uh, they dismiss Alan Shepard, who you never see again. And uh, <laughs> makes sense. Danny Kaye moves over to Drew Barrymore, six-year-old Drew Barrymore, who inter- introduces him to Seiko the robot. Seiko uh, is a robot that you may recognize from Rocky IV. He is the gift that Rocky gives Polly for his birthday at the, be- the beginning of Rocky IV. Happy birthday, Polly. Happy birthday, Paul. Right. And it's parodied <laughs> in, in Family Guy and a bunch of other things, you know, standard 1980s robot. But uh, a, a quick side note, Seiko was a robot built by uh, a group uh, for to interact with autistic kids. And that's huh. what Seiko was built for and excelled yeah. at, uh, you know, where they wouldn't necessarily converse always with people. Uh, it was a, a robot that could be uh, operated out of sight by someone, and you know they could they could talk, and so that so this robot uh, is not interacting with an autistic child; it's interacting with Drew Barrymore and Danny Kay, and so they meet Seiko, uh, and Seiko is introduces them to Dreamfinder and Figment. Dreamfinder, this is Master K and Drew. Drew and Master K meet the keeper of the sparks of imagination, Dreamfinder. It's nice to meet you. And this is my assistant and good right arm, Figment. Apparently, Seiko has magical powers because they say, oh, we're, you know, we'll meet Dreamfinder and Figment. And then Seiko just summons them and they appear in a poof. Uh, so Seiko's got magnetic robotic powers, apparently. Dreamfinder recites a rhyme as they play scenes of him running through uh, some of the show scenes in imagination that are complete, because you'll remember the attraction wasn't finished yet. Uh, and then when they're done their little two-minute segment with Dreamfinder and Figment, uh, they move on to Roy Clark. Uh, Roy Clark introduces the Land Pavilion and talks a lot about food uh, while showing scenes from Kitchen Cabaret and Listen to the Land, and he mentions symbiosis as well. But believe me, Once you've been through this place, you'll have a whole new appreciation of what it takes to feed your face and the faces of billions of others on the face of the earth. And then he boards one of the uh, Listen to the Land boats, and as it sails through the greenhouse, he sings 
this land is your land. And he's sitting on an edge of this thing with uh, a few people who are riding the boat, but they are facing forward, not looking back at this guitarist singing to them, uh, <laughs> while he has a chorus of, of uh, women backup singers that are accompanying him and staring at him dreamily. So wow, could we could we replicate that? You think could we do that? I thought about that. We can. Pro- Roy Clark is still alive. Yeah, uh, we could probably book him uh, to come and ride with us uh, and and play his guitar and yeah. sing "This Land Is Your Land." So when the song is over, uh, Danny and Roy are now standing in the greenhouse, taking their own behind the seeds tour. Uh, as they walk through the greenhouse, and then they meet up with, if you listen to our last episode, Carl Hodges from the University of Arizona, who was the horticulturist mm-hmm. who had so much to do with the design and construction of the land and that attraction. Uh, so Roy Clark asks him if he can, uh, keeping with the high-quality jokes that we started with in the 1971 special, Roy Clark asks him if he can grow an olive with a martini in it. Um, and uh-uh. and Carl... And Car- <laughs> JT, that 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 reaction is exactly the reaction Carl had, and then Danny thanks him for. Are you ready for your pun? Dishing the dirt. Uh, now, thank God if you if you've tired of this early 1980s hokey humor, <clears throat> there is relief because Seiko then appears in Communicore with Smart One to talk about Communicore. And for early Epcot fans, Communicore was just one of the coolest places to go. Hi, cutie. What's your name? Smart One. What's yours? They call me Zico. Do you live around here? Sure do. Work here, too. Right in the Communicore. You have two robots having a conversation about Communicore. And then Danny Kay says, enough with Future World. He takes us into World Showcase. As you can imagine, there is a very long song and dance number as he takes you through each country uh, and he sings from the back of the Friendship 2. And then there are interspersing scenes of him interacting with cast members from each of the opening countries. Come see a fellowship showcase of the world. You'll feel a spirit like no place in the world. You may come face to face with the whole human race in this constantly expanding land of peace and understanding. Yeah, the song, it runs for like five or six minutes almost. It's, it's a long it's time. pretty lengthy. It's a really long time. Yeah, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of. I'm watching this, and there's a lot of stuff going on. There's crane <laughs> shots. There's Steadicam shots. There's all the, kinds of the, things. As with the rest of Epcot, this was big, bold. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing low scale about this. About this special, we uh, spared no expense. Well, that's true. <laughs> the, the frustrating thing about it is, if for for a park fan today, looking back at it, uh, you wish you could see more of the park and more of what was in it, and and. A lot of times they just kind of glaze over whole pavilions with, you know, 20 seconds of stock footage and then they they move on to another song or so, you know. They felt also, too, if you could get two seconds of that and five seconds of this and four seconds of this, it, you're sitting there going, I got to go see this. I want to see more of it. So the more little quick shots they could give you, the best, uh, the better they were have a chance Very of getting effective. down there. Yeah, the fountain in front of the American Adventure is shooting water like twenty or thirty feet up into the sky. <laughs> I don't think it does that anymore. So there, in and I wish I could remember which book Sully, Tom Nabby, somebody's book has a story about that about how how that 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 used to shoot up really high, 
and the water would blow all over the place with those Florida winds <laughs> and soak people walking through the plaza. And so they eventually had to, had to ratchet it down because it was soaking people. <laughs> so anyway, uh, they, they now, which clearly if you watch it, it is wedged into this special. It's almost out of place. There is a literal 60-second drop-in of Danny Kaye visiting Alex Haley, uh, at what we know today is the site of the African outpost uh, on on World Showcase. But Alex Haley, uh, the author of Roots, standing behind a model of what was to be the Equatorial Africa Pavilion, which at the beginning of their conversation and at the end, Alex says, I'll see you here in Equatorial Africa next year when it opens. Oh. You presume correctly. Welcome to Equatorial Africa. Well, thank you very much. Uh, am I too early? About a year, but it's always nice to see you. <laughs> Uh, so it was one of the original pavilions that they intended to build. Uh, and then people kept trying to take over their company and they were out of money. So they couldn't build it. Um, so that, that pavilion never got built. Uh, Marie Osmond then jumps in and sings a song about America as they show the pavilion behind her. And she's joined by several dozen dancers from the Amman folk group on stage where the America Gardens Theater is located. The theater wasn't there then. It was just a stage that was built for this purpose. Behind the scenes feature on the original film from the China Pavilion then runs uh, with Danny Kaye kind of narrating. Uh, again, a very big deal when Epcot opened. I mean, China was a closed society to American tourists, to tourists all over the world. Uh, there, were, you know, there were no pictures from China or anything like that inside the Forbidden City or in rural China. It just wasn't, you know, communist China was not a place you could just go and, and tour around if you felt like it. So Disney being allowed to come in there for four months and film inside the Forbidden City, uh, this, the original Circle Vision, I think it was called Mysteries of China, uh, that had a lot of footage of things that you couldn't see anywhere else. Uh, so Disney really talked that up when they opened this pavilion uh, and they spent a few minutes in the, on the special uh, really promoting that as one of the really cool things to come and see. And if you've never sat through that film, I do recommend it. It's it's it, even today they've 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 updated it since then. I think about ten years ago, but it's still a very good film. Um, so after that, Eric Savaride then comes in. Eric Savaride was a CBS newsman, as I mentioned, but his connection to Disney uh, is that when Walt Disney died. Uh, Eric Savaride was the host of the uh, the anchor of the CBS Evening News that night, and he read this tribute, uh, prepared like this four-minute tribute monologue to Walt Disney. And so that was very famous. So they brought him in. This was like the Walt Disney legacy portion of the special. Uh, him and Danny Kaye sitting, sitting somewhere in Epcot, he asks Eric to recite a portion of that monologue, which he does about about Walt, and they say some nice things about Walt. Uh, and then they move on to uh, Danny Kay, the big finale, which Todd was in hysterics watching this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he he's standing in front of the Ameri you know what is now the America Gardens Pavilion. He conducts the West Point Glee Club, singing "America the Beautiful." Uh, and then halfway through that, the All American College Marching Band moves in 
And as soon as America the Beautiful's done, they begin to play This Is My Country to close out the show. And Danny Kay is conducting them and waving his oh, arms and flailing himself around. all over the place. <laughs> and he is positively exhausted when the number finally ends, and he breathlessly thanks everybody for tuning in and watching this show from Epcot Center. Oh, boy. I must tell you, I've had a wonderful time here at Epcot, and I hope, I hope some of you share that feeling as well. You know, like, you, you want to call, like, the first aid stand over at the Odyssey and say, hey, buddy, we better get somebody over here. Uh, yeah, why they didn't just let him rest for five minutes? Nobody, it was all pre-taped. Right. It wasn't live. Nobody would have never known, you know. And his hair is all like tussled, yeah, it's disheveled, yeah. and I mean, it really, yeah. it's, it's. I mean, it's an A for effort, guys. It is an A for effort. He probably uh, so was all yelling at him. I'm gonna do it live. Yeah, it's it's yeah. fun to watch for the kitsch factor. Uh, it's fun to watch to see the park. You know, really, what it looked like the day it opened because most of that stuff was shot. Uh, in those few days around when the park opened. Uh, but I wouldn't give it a, a really, a, I, I don't really regard it as a particularly high quality special that gives you a lot of insight into the into the theories and all behind the park. Right. But you do get a sense of the the wonder and excitement of the park and and mm -hmm. a lot of the, 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 the focus on technology in the future and all that. And that one, that had a running time of an hour. And then I know uh, the Magic Kingdom one was an hour and a half. And by the time we get to 1989, JT, we have a, a rousing two-hour special to open up the studios. Tonight on a special presentation of the magical world of Disney. The grand opening of the Disney MGM Studios theme park. Join James Stewart, Smokey Robinson, Jane Fonda, John Forsyth, Stephanie Powers, Buster Poindexter, Kate Jackson, Dick Van Dyke, Ann Miller, Ashford and Simpson, Suzanne Summers, Kathy Lee Crosby, Tony Randall, Rue McClanahan, Estelle Getty, and more superstars and more famous cars. This is going to be great. The Disney MGM Studios theme park grand opening, a world premiere exclusive next on the magical world of Disney. You know, after watching it, oh my God, the cheese! Like I can see, like <laughs> why you guys were like just so that disappointment in GM Studios from the start it, get go. It's a different, it's a different level of cheese. Oh, though. We, you know, we've gone, we went seventies, we went eighties, and this nineties. The cheese that at least I remember from watching this thing in the past was that it was this whole we're making movies here that's the cheese yeah. that always bothered me and now you know where we get it you know i i get it i do all right well first off you guys can fill in the holes here because this was two hours long and i mean i hate to say <laughs> if you can sit through this and it, it's it's on youtube so there's like some some really solid 1989 commercials and things of that nature but um i'm gonna kick off my the beginning scene i thought was cool because i believe and you guys always correct me on this stuff eisner's given his little intro in the animation building right mm -hmm. yeah which i yeah it's the glass block to me is the dead giveaway and then we it's that foyer before you actually walked inside of the uh yeah inside of where the animators work yep. yes okay um does this whole thing on the hollywood that never was and always will be so sit back and enjoy this sneak preview of the Hollywood we created in Florida. There's not so much a theme park as a state of mind. A Hollywood that never was and will always be. 
we have our cast of characters then after that. Everybody from Smokey Robinson to Jimmy Stewart to uh, Suzanne Summers, all these. I, you know, at the time, like, were these big names? Like, yeah. I, I mean, well, I know I know who they are. I know they're big names. I'm saying, like, you know, like, okay, say you did this now. Would that be the equivalent of them putting, like, you know, an A-list, you know, Chris Pratt, Brad Pitt, you know what I mean? Is that? Uh, well, n- no, because if you go through the special, I mean, the people that were there, uh, aside from the, the current, uh, like, you know, because the Disney Buena Vista produced the Golden Girls, she had Rue McClanahan and, yeah. uh, and Estelle Getty there. But, like, John Ritter, his show had been off the air for 45 years. Uh, same with Suzanne Summers. The, they were both on Three's Company. Uh, you know, Smokey Robinson wasn't putting out hit records he in 1989. A, I mean, he's a, yeah, 84, well, 85. Well, right. But my point, my, my point yeah. being, a lot of these people. This was 1989. They were four or five years since they had had like a that's big what I thing, thought. and that's that, that's like, always the impression I got from MGM. Like you'd go to the like, you know, we talked in in chat about the 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 cement, you know, and like all the names in there. You didn't see like huge stars like you saw i mean they're stars but they're not like right i, don't know. And, I feel and like it so, was like and, a and so minus back then back then well, that's how you afford them right so we'll even talk about i mean i'll even throw bet midler in there i mean bet midler right around that time beaches had come out uh maybe a couple years later i i, I mean she was a star yeah but she was not i mean i i wouldn't consider her in her prime then i mean i thought her prime was earlier when she was doing the rose and some of that stuff in the early eighties. But you know, Michael Eisner certainly loved her. Yeah. Uh, and put her in know. everything I, that he could, but I just looked at this list of stars, like a B plus and a minus list. Right. Like, yeah. you know, not top notch. I think a minus is a great, is a great because they were probably still considered a listers. Uh, but a listers who had, you know, were maybe on the warning list, <laughs> but they had the, their name had power when you when you put it Absolutely. in the coming attractions sure, for the yeah. week. That that it got you to tune in, and it, I think also too from like a John Ritter standpoint, Suzanne Summers, there was a comfort factor with somebody who you knew whether or not they did something right now, you were comfortable listening to what they had to tell you, or poorly acting in front of you, whichever. Well, and, and I think the other thing we should probably mention too in, in the selection of the people who were, who were there is uh, back then, uh, and, and it kind of evolved in the 90s, but back then, uh, very much, they really only had family-oriented stars at, the, at their things. So you, you know, So you didn't, you know, you didn't have people who mm-hmm. made R-rated movies and, and, you know, you wouldn't have Clint Eastwood or somebody there... Uh, Right, like that didn't happen. Uh, so, so, so a lot of the names there are from what were very wholesome programs or you know clean programs. All right. Well, okay. So, the, gosh, I love this these shots though. Like you take away the st- my star complaint. I like this back down shot they do down the the main oh, yeah, drag of Hollywood Studios. Um, you see that, and we pan up to the crossroads of America, and on the roof is our friend Smokey Robinson uh, up there. Doing a, a little dance number with some steps. You know, this is a few years removed, but this to me felt very Captain EO. I don't know, I could be wrong, but you know, he had the lasers, like the pow, like here's his backup singers right there. Um, 
And he kind of did his whole dance number down the street. We got him, you know, all the crowd coming in, the backup vocals, the whole deal, doing their their whole thing. It with go, him. That goes pretty pretty long too. I think that was another. Oh yeah, we're we're at almost eleven minutes in before uh, Mr. Ritter makes his appearance. Kind John of, Ritter, yeah. yeah. He's, he's he does this whole cheese thing, the whole, and I'll just get it out of the way now. Where he's like, we got two days to talk about everything, get it all going, and then some guy walks up and is like, uh, uh, "Excuse now, me, Mr. Ritter. Yeah, I'm on my way to my post, and I overheard you say uh, something about the opening. It's not two days; it's less than two hours. Less than two hours before the grand opening. Two hours. Holy cow! We've got to get a lot done. So." I mean, in, in you know, lack of a better term, he gives us this big grand tour of the thing we see uh, to start off that that '90s or late '80s Mickey Mouse Club going on on there. Uh, they got a song number, and then we uh, go to Catastrophe Canyon, which, Tra- or uh, I keep wanting to call him Travolta Ritter, standing there, uh, getting just just soaked with water. There's no train there, or anything. He's just standing right at the front lines, getting soaked. Yeah, he stood right on the platform where the where the tram would come through and just you know acts like it, oh it's probably worth mentioning at the point you bring the Mouseketeers in how dramatically the company had changed from the 1982 special for Epcot to this opening one for MGM yeah. I mean <laughs> between the Disney Channel starting uh, and and them promoting all their original programs on that their their movie production had gone from a few movies a year to this massive schedule of of not only if you remember at the time this park opened Little Mermaid was just about to come out uh, from the animation division and they were making all these other popular movies from the Hollywood Pictures label that they owned. Uh, you know, contemporary adult pictures at that point, uh, you know, third theme park, all the new hotels that they were opening and building. So, I mean, the, the company was three, four times the size that it was uh, just six years earlier when they opened Epcot. From there, we cut to Harry Anderson. And was his big thing Night Court at it, the time? It, was that? Yeah, uh, it was his only so, He was a comedy magician. I mean, but his big, yeah, the, at the time he was Night Court. He, he takes us into that area where this to me is, uh, you know, it's all memorable, as you guys know to me, but we see the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids yep. bee, the, the show in the, the yep. blue screen. And he makes like seven know. different it, bee jokes. Hi, I'm Harry Anderson, and this is my friend, the bee. He insisted on being here for the grand opening. I call him Bear. You see, they have this other bee that they call Square. I wasn't sure whether I should ride Be There or Be Square. Yeah, he got the, he's riding the bee. We cut to the movie clip, and then he goes through like a, uh, you know, a, a, we'll say a storage room, a back lot where we see the Honey I Shrunk the Kids ray yeah. gun. Uh, yeah, you used to walk through that back lot on, studio on the tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All, all the mm-hmm. stuff in there, which you know is is you guys have told which, me, it which wasn't was really there. which was still there twenty years later when they closed the attraction. All hey, from That's the right. new contemporary <laughs> film that has that was released twenty one years ago. We have all the props. Very, very <laughs> late 80s, early 90s props there. Um, and he gives us a, a little montage on the different clips of uh, props that could be, you know, there. And a lot of Captain EO in there, a lot of Tron, Roger Rabbit at the time, uh, just a little montage. We cut to the water tank. He's there in some high waters, just taking it in. And more John Ritter cheese shows up. John Ritter gets into the wheelhouse. Fun. Is this going to be fun? Yeah, and I know fun, John, and this is going to be fun. You go on in there. I should go in here? Let's get in there and hold on to the wheel. Harry, and then we'll have fun. It's very moist in here. Huh? It's very moist. Are you having fun yet? And uh, misfortune <laughs> is uh, completely 
covered in the the water splashdown thing. Yeah, Harry Anderson really does him a dirty there. He's, oh, you just stay in here. You'll be fine. Yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah. But that was the big joke, even with the, when you yeah. select the people. You know, we need somebody who's strong and, and can take a dousing of water. I really oh, wanted to do know. it. I never got to do it. If you guys ever, I, I, I yeah, I, I was the. Um, you all, you would be that the... guy. You were on stage the other day. You're that guy. Aren't they just pick you. <laughs> it was my 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 wife, myself, my brother, and his girlfriend at the time. And uh, yeah, I, I think. I think I was I was one of the ones standing on the on the deck of the of the PT boat, and the boots stunk. By the way, oh, they did stunk they? like mildew. It was, it was awful. The whole the whole getup smelled like just nasty. Just yeah. nineteen eighty nine boots. Maybe Ritter wore them. <laughs> yeah, he could have. <laughs> um, so you know, I'm not going to cover all these, but interspersed throughout, I should mention Ronald Reagan. Uh, doing little bumpers there, talking about the magic of movies. Yeah, the whole show they had uh, like ten or twelve of these bumpers uh, between you know between commercials where they would have you know Jimmy Stewart and Jane Fonda and all these people coming in to talk about uh, their first experience with movies or their most best Hollywood memory stuff like that. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I began to realize through the power of that motion picture that one man can make a difference. John Forsyth, Dick Van Dyke, and the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular when we return. And we also had the, some people pressing their hands in the cement. And um, one of the things that got me, because we had this car, um, they're showing the Lumina commercials. And some of them were even filmed like on the streets of America in front of the fake Chinese theater. Uh, Chevy and Disney at the time were interspersed. They even got some Fantasia animation in with the Chevy commercials. Nice. But, uh so we kind of intro then for the the adventure end of things. We cut to Indiana Jones, the epic stunt spectacular. Uh, we sort of see Ritter doing more cheese where the spears almost hit him. And then uh, some Dick Van Dyke action in front of the theater there. Talking about a great movie ride, showing clips of that. Um, you know, at the time, I you guys know this. and I mean, that was the ride, the only ride there sort of, you know, I think, was that it? Yeah. So, yeah well, I mean, there, there were the... It was probably the only Move, physical yeah. moving ride before oh, Star yeah, Tours from the, opened. From up. what we traditionally um, regard as, you know, ride attractions, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that so one was went, obviously from the drawing boards of Epcot. That was supposed to be an Epcot pavilion originally, the the movie one, and then they just moved it over to the. <laughs> they decided to make a whole theme park out of it. So yeah, we uh, have some more movie memories. Then we uh, we get to the superstar television end of things. We spend a lot of time on that, which which uh, honestly I knew more about that. Well, you know, it, it, it's funny because that that was really really huge for its time because the concept of green screen, mm-hmm. you know, you only saw in movies, but to be able to do it live in front of somebody, you know, now you've got apps on your phone, you can. Do so it the yeah. funny thing is, as much as people will look at that and say, oh, why wow, this is really cool at the time and how you might have more details on this, but uh, Paramount was already doing a an experience where you could be in Star Trek uh, in their theme parks That's where right, you could yeah. go in and you, I think you paid, uh, and they dressed you up like a Klingon and you, and somebody was in the dressed up like this and they produced a videotape and then you got the souvenir videotape to keep, uh, of yourself. Right. And what was, I guess, kind of interesting is the, uh, the properties that they had in the, uh, in superstar television. I mean, some of them were somewhat contemporary, like cheers i think was still on the air mm-hmm. but i mean a lot of them were really old i mean there was a three stooges segment and a uh, i love lucy 
And I love, yeah, yeah. I love Lucy, which at least that was a classic bit, but like Gilligan's Island. And it was, I mean, it was a cross section of, of things that people recognize. Right. But they certainly weren't like the hottest shows on television at that point. This is my favorite film. It's a wonderful life. Thanks, John, for pulling me out of the cement back there at the Chinese theater. Well, I wish I hadn't pulled so hard. Where did you finally land, anyway? Use the street. All right, so another bumper from Jimmy Stewart, and we move into John Forsyth and John Ritter uh, walking into the uh, animation area again. More John Ritter cheese. He's got some tire tracks down his back, but uh, he leaves. And Forsyth tells us about some animation stuff. We learn about uh, ink and paint and that whole deal. Then John Forsyth moves to the streets of America, which, honestly, this it, even at the time when I was... Boy, uh, seven, eight at the time, I I was curious about this because you see these houses and you're like, well, okay, I I just didn't get it. But he walks down the thing. We see, you know, Herbie down there with Goofy mowing the grass, uh, Streets of America. Then we have a song and dance number again on the Streets of America. Who is this guy? By none other than. Buster Poindexter. Buster Poindexter. Gosh, I I don't even cut that out because I. I didn't even know who he was. <laughs> you know, basically, it's not exactly a memorable. Well, it's memorable, probably in the wrong way. I should mention too, why Poindexter's doing his thing. You know that they're thrown in these things like they're filming it. You know the yes, yeah, you guys, and they've got yeah. the fake cameras and again pushing that we're filming here. So then we were, you know, I'm skipping ahead here a little bit because we got some more song and dance numbers. I mean, it's just it's just getting so played out here. But this to me, we get to the parade, the cars with the, the stars, star, superstars in the eyes. motor cars parade, yeah. Yeah, we got we got Eisner rolling in with Bette Midler. We got uh, you know all of them coming in here. I saw George Lucas at yeah. one point. Oh, and Harry Anderson, Harry Anderson he made another appearance. Yeah. But there's actually a couple of big names in there, like Tom Hanks or somebody is in Kevin I Costner. Kevin That's Costner. Kevin Costner's Rick there. Moranis. Rick Moranis, yeah. Yeah, so you know, pretty decent. And uh, we move into some more Eisner talk uh, leading into the Pointer Sisters, and some pretty groovy outfits if. You know, I, I'm I'm digging the outfits, and the, I'm so excited. So well, yeah, and they're keeping with their like their last hit was a few years before that. So, a neutron dance, and uh, and uh, yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah, oh, very Captain Captain EO esque there too. Yes, well. exactly. Um, George Burns, I literally have never seen his comedy. <clears throat> and I know who he is, but yeah. So uh. so so this this is two very bizarre sequences uh they john ritter introduces george burns like oh we're gonna george burns saluting the opening of disney fgm studios and they cut to george burns doing like a 10 minute stand-up set but it's in like <laughs> vegas or something like it's it, have anything it has, to do with it's literally like if you just you could cut in anybody's comedy special and drop 10 minutes of it into yeah. the show it was, it was there's a balcony in yeah. the audience and some palm tree yeah. hanging off the side. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not down there. So like they, they had nothing to do with, with this, the MGM Studios. He doesn't mention it during his act. He it's doesn't not even, even mention it. No. It's like, we need some filler. Fill it. Go. <laughs> um, and I love this. This keeps popping in there I, a few times. Ritter on the Earful Tower, but not really. Um, it, I, 
No, not on the real air filter. Yeah, I mean, he's like <laughs> on a thing and they're blowing wind on him. I swear he's not up there. Do you agree? Or am I the only one that... I I thought they had a a mock-up. Yeah, yeah that's what I think. He's, they, he's not up there. Was it would down be below very difficult somewhere. to film what they filmed um, up there. Like, there isn't a scissor lift that goes up that high for them to film... Yeah, the, the that way that they, yeah, too. if you watch the shot, it, it it was more than likely a recreation. So then we cut to uh, Willie Nelson, I, which to me seems like another. It's uh, exactly they they say that he's performing in the Indiana Jones Theater. Oh, uh, that's how they introduce him. And I, I mean, I gotta be honest, with you, I watched it a couple times. I couldn't really tell. Um, it's possible that it's, it is, it's and, the, and the Klieg so. lights and all are kind of facing out towards the audience. And, you know, the, the most startling <laughs> thing about it is seeing Willie as a younger man, like, you know, not all yeah. old and gristled the way we're used to seeing him. I mean, he's. But, um, but again, he performs and says nothing about the Disney MGM Studios. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's just like... a Willie Nelson number. So really, if if you wanted to, to me, you cut out the last two acts, and they should have just smashed this on the end. This is the the big number in front of this theater. You got the, you know, the Hollywood looking dancers. They're they're hitting on famous movie very songs. Very big production they're... number. Very big production number. They used. Yeah, huge project, and they used this footage in a lot of the, the, you know, travel log films and stuff of the people kicking and dancing in front of the, the Grumman's Theater there. I mean, at this, yeah, I mean, it really does uh, pays tribute to Busby Berkeley and and, yeah. and everything kind of the great movie rides about. They do a good job in that number, uh, very big, you know, Vegas style pre- presentation. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice, nice ending, and uh... and nobody's out of breath at the end of it. So yeah, that's that's the two-hour extravaganza MGM Studios grand opening. The Muppets have arrived at the Disney MGM Studios theme park. Meet Kermit, Ozzy Bear, Hermes Piggy, and all your Muppet favorites as they come to permanently leave their mark in this spectacular world of glitz and glamour. Hey everybody, it's time to do the show. Sorry. Here come the Muppets, only at the Disney MGM Studios theme park. Uh, how how much time do you need for this? Uh, it's a glorious three-hour finale. You got 20 minutes. <gasps> With that, you can definitely tell we're talking about the Muppets at Walt Disney World. So this is just after, uh, a little bit after the MGM special. Um, and the Muppets, the, the deal had been signed to bring the Muppets into the Walt Disney World parks. And uh, this, yeah. this is something that uh, Hal's going to talk about. Henson uh, worked on. It was one of his, his last things they worked on. So Hal, take it away. Sure. So, so the deal to acquire uh, di- to acquire the Muppets by Disney was announced on August 29th, nineteen eighty nine. So just a little bit after Disney MGM opened. Um, and in fact, if some of us remember, like they had a sign out that said uh, that was announcing the construction of like Muppet Studios. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Back that you could see on the tour. So production on Muppet Vision 3D began in January of nineteen ninety, and then this television special, uh, The Muppets at Walt Disney World, that went into production in March of nineteen ninety, and aired on May sixth of nineteen ninety. So almost just a little bit of a year past um, 
past the um, the grand opening special in the studio's opening. Jim unfortunately passed just ten days later, so it was really yeah. the last special that he shot. Um, he died on May sixteenth, nineteen ninety, and that actually led to the deal um, falling through. And it wasn't until much later then that Disney actually. Um, uh, finalize the deal with the Muppets but um, they got this special done and of course Muppet Vision and uh, the stage show uh, set to go uh, while while he was still alive so really this was this was the this was an opening special to introduce the Muppets to to everybody yes. at Walt Disney World that was the real point to it yeah and and at the end there's actually a part where Mickey welcomes them to the family so uh, so this was very much a thing about like hey the Muppets are part of us now yep. so let's let's get together exactly um and and actually Eisner's cold opening is with Fozzie and Fozzie's mom inside the Grand Floridian and uh, he ends up getting attacked by the Muppets and his his uh, suit is all ripped up by the time it's all over but uh, but as but that's just the cold open and it's, and it's not that great <laughs> in fact yeah. there's some uh, there's some really funny outtakes from that that have found their way on the internet um, that are in some ways actually better than the, the thing that actually ran on television welcome everyone I'm in the lobby of the Gland. Oh, I'm sorry, Gland. Gland Floridian. Well, we could change the name. I'm in the lobby of the Gland. Gland. The Gland. The Gland. Welcome, everyone. I'm in the lobby of the Grand Floridian. Re- oh. Okay, who else can we get? <laughs> <laughs> now the main show starts um, as a large cast of the Muppets make their way through the swamps of Florida. Uh, Kermit assures Miss Piggy that he's taking her to Paradise, and he does his ancestral home of Paradise Swamp, which just so happens to be located behind Walt Disney World. Special quickly introduces an expanded role for Bean Bunny, who is a character who had his own um, TV special before he started showing up on Muppets Tonight uh, and in the main ensemble. Scooter sort of man- matter-of-factly explains that Bean Bunny was hired because the up- other Muppets were sick of being cute. And so Bean's main function uh, was to be cute so that way the other Muppets didn't have to be cute anymore. <laughs> which, which is a very meta thing uh, for the Muppets to have. Um, after a quick musical number in the swamp... Uh, during which Beaker and uh, Bunsen, you remember Beaker, Bunsen, Honeydew's assistant, oh, yes. he's a tall one that says, me, 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 me. Yeah. So uh, he ends up with a bait bucket stuck to his head, um, which ends up becoming a running gag for the, for the rest of the show. And then uh, Kermit reveals a surprise. And tonight after the bug fire, we're going to sit around and listen to the fireworks from Walt Disney World. Yep, Walt, Walt Disney, Disney World. World. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. Walt Disney World is just on the other side of those trees over there. Let's go, everybody. Yeah. But wait a second. What about the Frog Festival? Kermit, you don't understand. You are asking us to choose between Walt Disney World and fried bugs. But... So that leads us to Charles Grodin, who was known for films like Midnight Run. Brian, do you know some of his other... Sure, The Incredible Shrinking Woman. And uh, he was in uh, Chevy Chase, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Governor... Blah, 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 blah. Hold on. Uh, oh, God, he's the District Attorney. His name's Ira Parks. It's terrible, Fletch. but I can't... Seems, seems like old oh, times. Seems like times. Okay. Him and Goldie Hawn... Uh, but Midnight Run is what a lot of people know him from. And then he left acting for a long time in the late 90s and early 2000s. He hosted his own talk show on MSNBC or CNBC, I think it was back then. That's right. 
Uh, and he's done he's done a bit of acting. I just yeah. saw him in a Robert De Niro movie called The Comedian. Hmm. So. And he was also the left brain in Cranium Command. Yes. So there's there's a Disney connection from from the year previous. Um, so he plays this inept Disney MGM security guard named. Quentin oh, oh wait, wait, wait! I'm sorry. We we left out the Great Muppet Caper. He's oh he's, right. He's one of the villains in the Great Muppet Caper. So there's there's a Muppet connection. Um, so the Muppets, uh, Kermit forgets his wallet because he doesn't have any clothes. So he leaves his wallet in his knapsack so he can't buy admission for anyone. Animal ends up picking up one of the turnstiles and throwing it and the Muppets bum rush the gates. <laughs> right. So, so we do have to note that with the setup being in the Kermit Swamp, the message they initially start the show with is the rest of Florida is so terrible. The only place you should go is Walt Disney World. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Which is fairly true. That's actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Said the lifelong resident of Florida. Uh, as we will see in this special, as in with many other specials, and especially some of the ABC shows now that tend to go to the parks, it's like the rules of space time as it relates to Disney parks do not apply. Rides are next to each other that would never be there. You, you can go freely from Epcot to to uh, Disney MGM to the Magic Kingdom without any backstage bus. You're just, boof, you're there. Turn around and you're someplace else. So, uh, so Bean Bunner and Scooter appear at the Imagination Jumping Fountains, which are still in very nice condition at that point. Um, Bunsen and Beaker go exploring World Showcase, and Beaker during this time just continually runs into lampposts and other objects because he can't see because he has a bucket on his head. Uh, which is a running gag throughout the show from that point forward. And and surprisingly hilarious. I don't, He can run into as many things as, as he can, and it's, it made me laugh every time. <laughs> yes. I will mention something, uh, too, because a lot of this was filmed with the real park audiences going on. Look behind the characters, and every now and then you'll see people trying to snap pictures or people staring, or they'll start to look down at the puppeteers. <laughs> you know, you think... My wife was watching with me the other night, and she's like, do you think they did this green screen? I'm like, no, watch the people behind, you know? Yeah, you can see people turning around during the... At one point, they're doing the... They also do the motor car parade, and you can see them driving the car. Like, you can see little kids turning around, pointing at them, and... <laughs> um, and then, meanwhile, while that's going on, Gonzo and Camilla sort of have some of their own ideas. Ah, oh, Camilla, hon, here we are at last. Just the two of us. Aww. Now, what would you like to see first? The Wonders of Life exhibit, or uh, the, the ocean thing over there? Uh, <gasps> what's that? <laughs> Whoa, it's a used paper cup exhibit. Boy, these Disney people are always on the cutting edge. Camilla, huh? look at those bent drinking straws. Huh? Whoa. Yeah. Now, Miss Piggy ends up teamed up with a character called Beauregard, who was kind of like the, uh, sort of like a stage hand who would sweep up on the Muppet Show. Yep. And uh, he ends up taking her on like every thrill ride while they're there. It's like she just wants to get to the Chinese theater, but he ends up dragging her onto uh, like Big Thunder Mountain, which is really funny to see because they have this version of her eyes that are like huge. Yeah. And, and you know, I thought they just put the puppets on there. But if you look carefully, they're moving and they're doing things. And there's a puppeteer somehow strapped down in the bottom of the, oh, the yeah. seat of I cannot imagine riding that attraction. I mean, it's not a bad roller coaster, you know, it's not not crazy, but not having any point of reference and being in some strange cockamamie position to put your hand up into the puppet yeah. can't be comfortable. Um, and it was uh, 
each one they were in their own seats so it wasn't like they were trying to cram it's like piggy was in one seat behind bogard was in the seat in front so it, i it's certainly not spacious but you know they i'm sure the puppeteers are probably used to working in tight quarters and a lot of a lot of things like that um and then rizzo the rat ends up teaming up with fitzwater to go find the other muppets which uh he misinterprets kermit as kismet which is like a strange musical reference so uh yeah that's that was not a really good gag <laughs> the cell phone or the the mobile phone that the oh yeah that he's talking on is this big giant yellow brick phone with a you know like a nine inch rubber whip antenna <laughs> it's classic just just uh yeah. i mean the, the, you know there's so many little things like that to look for that that you wouldn't even think back then that that would stand out today totally 90s um, Statler and Wardruff are, are sort of dressed as dandies. Uh, they ride around on the horse-drawn trolley on Main Street. Uh, and there's a really funny sequence where they discover that they have nothing to complain about. So they start complaining about the fact that they have nothing to complain about because Walt Disney World is so awesome. Uh, I love it here. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's perfect. Absolutely. I can't think of a thing to complain about. Mm. It's pretty. Pleasant. Neat. Clean. Mm. Yeah. I hate it when there's nothing to complain about. This is terrible. Yeah, why did we come to this miserable place? Boo! This! This! Close this dump down! Taxi! Taxi! Um, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem uh, are accompanied by Clifford, and uh, they're riding around on the top level of one of the omnibuses, um, World Showcase, which is pretty cool. Uh, and they actually did, uh, so they do a world tour around World Showcase because they, they can be home by dinner time if they do that. Uh, and they, they do a, a cover version of a, of a song called Rockin' All Over the World by a band called Status Quo, which I had first seen uh, at Live Aid. In 1985, they—I was unfamiliar with the band, but they actually—I think they were the first act on Live Aid, so we got uh, inundated by that as as kids. Um, so uh, by the time characters appear again in front of uh, MGM outside of Star Tours, uh, Fitzwater is briefing the Seven Dwarfs, and he's added them to his security detail, which is a very odd gag. Uh, yeah, that one doesn't work because he's just come on, yeah. dopey, don't be dopey. I mean, like, okay, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, and uh, Bunsen Honeydew decorates Beaker's bucket with like a wig and sunglasses, <laughs> and just <laughs> as as this, first he paints eyes on it so it like it looks more normal, and then he's got this huge sort of like girlish wig on it. It's just really funny. Oh, and he describes them as if you thought me saying that uh, Julie Andrews' smart outfit was weird, uh, Bunsen Honeydew describes Beaker as having an exotic, almost sultry quality, um, and then Piggy. Uh, is tricked into riding Star Tours by Beauregard, so you get a nice, uh, that was a pretty new ride, so you get a nice little inside view of Star Tours. Um, this is cool. So um, they did a really good job of finding really odd locations at Walt Disney World. It wasn't just like the new attractions and the stuff that uh, you would want to see. Ralph ends up going into the um, dog kennel. And, and do you think they filmed that right in front of the one... Well, it used to be at the Ticket and Transportation Center, right? Yeah, I mean, it looks sure like did. the building. It looks yeah, it looks like mm -hmm. it. That yeah, because the one at Epcot was much nicer than that. Yeah, yeah. so that is, the, uh, so he's he said he's performing a musical number live from the detention hall of the Walt Disney World uh, Pet Care Center. <laughs> um, 
Which is weird then, because once you go inside, they have like all these very comfortable Victorian couches and pool tables <laughs> and things. <laughs> and the the do- if you notice too, um, the dog from uh, Sprocket from from Fraggle Rock is is one of the dogs in, in there. Oh, there's like twenty dogs from different like all different uh, movies. P's dog from Fru-Fru the Henson and, universe. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Sprocket's definitely in there. We catch up with the Kermit, uh, who is very sad now in front of uh, Cinderella's castle. Well, it's not easy being green. Yeah. And he is approached by a five-year-old Raven Simone, who will end up later on uh, on the Cosby show and later on at the Disney Channel, and that's O'Raven. She sings him the Rainbow Connection to try to cheer him up. And then uh, he has to run away from the security guard, and that sort of ends up that sequence. Um, Now, this is a really cool one. So so Gonzo and Camilla have been wandering through the Utilidors, and they finally reach like this old massive laundry facility. Uh, I think it was the first one that was that was done on property where they would launder all the cast costumes and all the bed linens. It's just enormous and grungy, and you can tell like it's been there for twenty years and it's just been beat up. It looks like a sweatshop from the nineteen twenties. Yeah. you know what I mean. It's just it's it's still it's it's pretty impressive when you look at it and all the number of articles of clothing going through and everything it is a is one of the only backstage things i've ever seen in one of these types of special yeah so he he thinks it's laundry land and and he sings a very sweet song called love in the laundry to her um, <laughs> love in a laundromat who would have thought of that tumbling together in some fancy machine We're starting to wrap up. We're about done. Uh, on the way back to the Chinese theater, the gang kind of reunites in front of the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular. Uh, and Piggy and Kermit are recruited into the show. So they, they become the leads. So Piggy becomes uh, Karen Allen and uh, Kermit becomes uh, Harrison Ford. Uh, and the entire time, it's like he's uh, Kermit is acting out the Indiana Jones role, but he keeps apologizing for using violence to try to solve problems. So like, <laughs> he'll shoot somebody and like there'll be an explosion. And it'll be like, "Are you okay?" Uh, and they'll get up and wave to him, and he just like five six times. He's like, "This is not the way that you solve problems." Um, so it's very funny to see him kind of like freaked out at the same time uh, going through the motions. Um, at the end, uh, Piggy and Kermit are captured by Fitzwater, and then the gang are taken to see Mickey who uh, Kermit claims is he's good friends with. Yeah, well, Mickey and I are old buddies. I didn't know you knew Mickey Mouse. Uh, sure, we're both members sure. of FASA. FASA? Yes, yeah, sir. fictional animal stars of America. Uh, animated Mickey. Yeah. Because if they had the, you know, what we know is the Mickey costume that people wear, uh, he'd be like five times as big as Kermit. So they <laughs> use right. animated Mickey instead. Yep. Uh, so Mickey, who's yeah, who's traditionally animated, and I I don't know if that was done at Disney MGM. Uh, that would be one thing to find out if that was mm. that scene of him was actually done there. Uh, they go into his office and he welcomes them to the family, and then he sends them off to the Chinese theater for a final musical number and to leave their footprints on the cement. Uh, and then they do a uh, they kind of revisit all the locations that you had saw uh, previously as they're doing this musical number. Uh, and in fact, you see Fitzwater getting his cup and he's having to scrape gum off the bottom of uh, benches at Disney MGM uh, for being a terrible person. So uh, the Muppets return to the swamp 
Uh, and they discover that they've left Miss Piggy behind, stuck in the cement. So there's that John Ritter yeah, gets again. Right. Right. John Ritter stayed yeah, there. He's still yeah. there now. Yeah, yeah. And she's uh, as the the credits roll, uh, she's stuck in front of the theater and and yelling for help. So that's it's a very uh, it, that one was a 45 minutes. You know, it's yeah. an hour special with commercials and stuff. And the the pace is really fast. I was gonna say uh, it goes it goes quick even when you're watching. And it's of all the. Th- four that we talked about tonight it's probably the one that you can sit through in its entirety and 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 i don't want to say relate but laugh to and, well, and enjoy because of the, the well and it's and it and it's and it was written by henson and his people right. i mean it was a yeah it was completely done by the muppet people and not so much by the disney people right yeah it's uh, it's it was written by jerry jewell who's like he wrote all the episodes of the muppet show so it's a very right. muppety um definitely muppety but it was it was cool uh, how much use they got out of stuff there's a lot of things i didn't mention because some of these sequences really only last 30 seconds yeah, sure. like there's uh the swedish chef does a thing <laughs> where he is preparing he the makes tacos yeah. tacos in front of the mexico pavilion yeah and he gives a he gives beaker a uh, a hot sauce taco and the the bait bucket like goes off of his head like an explosion yeah. but then lands back on it again and there's a little all kinds of little bits of like Fozzie Bear like trying to earn some money to like pay for lunch and he like he bombs out and then finally he's in front of the country bears and he performs for some of the actual like the costumed versions of two of the country bears and like Bongo from that short and like some other bears that like we wouldn't even recognize as costumes anymore. Right, right. Um but it, yeah, it's it's a very quick moving special and like you said because of that it it's still pretty watchable today. Yeah. The, the humor hits well. Um well, and 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 one of the things it does that we complain about in the other specials is this one really does show you a lot of the parks. Right. Um, yeah. You know, everything is is done at a different spot in the parks that you'll recognize, uh, and and the, you know the, you just get a very good sense for what it was like to visit. And at that time, you know, we get that question all the time as in terms of a golden age. You know, Magic Kingdom, Epcot Center, Disney MGM Studios, right, you know, a year into its in, into its opening was a great time to visit those three parks. Yep. Very true. Exactly. Well, guys, thank you for all your research and uh, on each of us doing these different specials. So as we said at the beginning of the episode, this is part one of, of uh, some other television specials we'll be taking on in part two. So stay tuned in the future. And and let us know if it was interesting or boring. Right. For so you if it's because... boring, we won't go to part two. I'll just yeah. I'll just tell it's... myself some stories one night about the other ones. But uh, we did get some tweets while we were recording here, and some people mentioned craft, uh, and I know we've talked about that one before. So uh, yeah, if you want to see it, let us know, and uh, we'll talk about it. So. All right. As always, uh, every month we introduce some new merchandise. How you have not given us any hints of what you've produced. So is this going to be a surprise even later later on than right now? I think so. I, the, there's still a couple of things I want to clean up from our previous ones yeah. and improve. But I, I think uh, after we talk tonight, like I may have some other... Fair it's enough. Made, made me think of some other things. All right, excellent. So, as always, you can purchase all of Howe's designs that we've got here at the Retro WDW shop. Uh, you can get those at retrowdw.com forward slash support us. And as always, our pins are available at retrowdw.com forward slash pins. And uh, all proceeds from any of those sales go directly into keeping this show on the air, helping us pay all the bills for the web server and the hosting and the podcasting and everything that we need to do. So really appreciate all of your support. While we're on the topic of RetroWDW.com, 
for about a year now, we've been talking about a new site, and I want to give a big shout out to uh, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios uh, for working on the site very intensely over the past uh, couple months and obviously in the past couple weeks to get the new version of our website up and running. Uh, we went live back uh, on May 19th and uh, we had a couple little kinks to work out, but it's working great. So you should see more content uh, in, in the articles that go along with this podcast. We have better ways of streaming the films to you and uh, also to the site is mobile ready now. So you should be able to get on your tablets and phones and should format a lot better. So again, thanks to, to Jason. And um, with that new software, you can see a lot of new things, especially on our Twitter account. We've got a way to post some photos. We're going to bring back old posts and old podcast episodes and old um, films now and then because um, that stuff kind of gets forgotten in, in the list of blogs. So check us out at RetroWDW.com. All right, guys, I think we're just about here to wrap it up. Um, I think we should probably just mention with the Epcot 35 event coming up in uh, October, and uh, we had a small episode last month, episode 29.35, where we talked a little bit about uh, us potentially doing an event down there. We are still in the planning stages and still in the exploratory stages of what we could do. Uh, so we're not going to give away any details yet, but we would like your feedback. Um, we know a lot of you had, were able to attend um, our Lake and Lagoon tour, uh, and, and we want to be able to extend it out to a larger group. So we're looking to do something a little on the larger side. So if you could go to retrowdw.com forward slash survey, fill out the survey about the Epcot 35 event we're trying to do. And uh, this would be on September 30th. Uh, 2017 so hopefully you can uh, fill that out and uh, if all goes well and we can put something together we'll definitely let everybody know and uh, get those tickets out there as soon as possible so brian's going down there next week he's going to do a little exploratory uh tour around epcot for us to check out some venues and uh, you never know what we're going to have in store we also have a, a topic picked out for next month uh, how this is something that you chose and, and you'd like to go back and do because we have a special film release to go with it. That's right. Yeah. It's one of my favorite in favorite attractions <laughs> of all time. Uh, Mission to Mars. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about Flight to the Moon, the uh, precursor to that. Uh, but mostly Mission to Mars because Third Officer Collins is my personal <laughs> hero. And you may have recalled that way back in episode two, The Tomorrowland, we touched on this. Uh, briefly as we went around Tomorrowland. I, I mean, I think we'll all admit we really didn't know what we were doing by episode two. We still hadn't figured out the stuff. So we are going to revisit Mission Mars and Flight to the Moon in more detail. And again, we have a very special film release that will be coming out next month to coincide with this episode. So stay tuned. That wraps it up for this month. Again, to all of our listeners, thanks for listening. If you could give us a shout out or review on iTunes, as always, you can reach us at podcast at retrowdw.com. We look forward to hearing from you and uh, we'll see you next month. And with that, Brian, take us out. Follow Todd McCartney and Retro Disney World on Twitter and Instagram at RetroWDW, on Facebook at Retro Disney World. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, you can find our producer, Jason Bartell from Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, at GoAwayGreen. 
for JT Kusher at LS1JT. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Brian P. Miles. <laughs>